Good morning. Welcome to Inside Petaluma here on KPCA 103.3 FM. I already made my first mistake. <laughs> Me too. I said good morning before you <laughs> introduced the show. Anyway. Well, just so you listeners know, uh, Jason and I are live in the studio for the first time in... 16 months, I think it is. It's been a long time. So we're probably going to make some mistakes because we've had the luxury of being able to pre-record the show. And if we blow it, we uh, are able to edit things out. Uh, but today, uh, you're getting to get the real deal live off the top of our heads. See how yeah. it goes. <laughs> and we're missing our other partner in crime, Janice Peter Thompson. She is enjoying a vacation. So uh, wow. have a good time, Janice, while we... Work here this morning, <laughs> but it does feel good to be back here. It's, yeah, it's kind of like um, the first day of school. It does seem kind of like that. I mean, we had to do the check-in. We had to show our cards. Uh, you can go through what are all these procedures we oh got to do to even gosh. to do this. My gosh. Um, well, so so everybody knows uh, right now, Petaluma Community Access is absent an executive director and. The bylaws for the organization require that the uh, chair of the board of directors uh, act in the role as executive director in the absence of one, and that falls on me because I am the chair of the board. So now it's a full-time job. (laughs) So now I have a full-time job, and uh, what Jason was just speaking to is the preparations that were required for us to get back into the studio. And um, it wasn't as simple as let's just unlock the door and let everybody in. Uh, We have regulations that we have to follow through Cal-OSHA, and uh, that meant my having to put together a COVID-19 prevention program and also a um, operational guidelines policy for the station and it was, it, it's intense. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts to it. There were uh, sanitization policies I had to um, put together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Calosha gives you guidelines on sanitization, which right. includes online sanitization training that mm-hmm. all employees and producers and programmers have to participate in. It's an online training. So you're an expert now. Yeah, it's an online <laughs> training. And... Uh, uh, it, it requires uh, interaction, so you can't just turn it on and walk away and go do your laundry and come back yeah. and say, oh, I took the course. You actually have to interact with it. Wow. There's a quiz in, within each segment that they give you, and um, and then they you, they email you a, a certificate that shows that you completed the program. So Wow. So you're qualified. You so, can give us advice yeah. to others. Hey, not that you need another full-time job, but, no, you I, know. I don't need another full-time <laughs> job, but, um, yeah. So, in, in short, uh, if you're doing a show here at PCA, you walk in the door. The first thing you do is sign in and mm-hmm. attest to the details that are on the form, which yeah. says, I don't have a headache, I don't have nausea, right. I haven't been around anyone with COVID, right. blah, 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 and then you have to sign off on that every time you enter the building. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I had to post uh, visuals around the uh, offices to indicate the proper way to wear a facial covering. Uh, I have a binder in, at each entrance and inside the studio that <laughs> uh, describes uh, all of these things, and has the actual policies, procedures, programs, everything that I 
had to create are in these binders. And so um, that's what it takes to keep us safe. Yeah. And we still may not be safe. Right. That and vaccination (laughs) cards. That and vaccination cards. You have to, um, before you can even return to uh, volunteering or working at PCA, uh, you have to provide a copy of your vaccination certificate so that we can take a copy of it and we have to keep it on file. And then there's the issue where, a valid issue, where people don't want to expose their information on their COVID cards. So uh, we have attestation forms that you can sign swearing that you have been vaccinated. Uh, um, yeah, that's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. So um, why why not just a zero tolerance on people that don't want to play by the rules and uh, actually show a legitimate card? I don't get that. What's the reason? Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, that makes a lot of sense, huh. but we're going by the, the, the language that's written in the Calosha regulations, right. and, and it says if, uh, if uh, somebody wants to enter that is unvaccinated, that we have to provide the NIOSH-approved N95 respirators as facial coverings. And, uh-huh. um, but I, I, you know, as a, a programmer, I myself am not interested in being in the studio that we're currently in with anyone who is, has not been vaccinated. So right. you have that you have that uh, opportunity to, to decide whether you want to have an unvaccinated person in your office, regardless of where they're wearing a, a neon yeah. mask or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me know uh, next time, because uh, honestly, if there's people that are coming in here that aren't vaccinated, um, I'd rather just do it remotely. Yeah, um, we, we so. have that option. Everybody... Yeah. Everybody who does a show here has the option of to continue uh, pre-recording their shows from uh, a remote location, their home or wherever yeah. they do it, yeah. and then submitting the content. We do that um, by way of Dropbox. And uh, yeah. Explain Dropbox to someone who doesn't know what that is, Jason. Well, it's a cloud storage system. So uh, if everybody out there knows what the cloud is, uh, you know, via the internet, you're uploading data to a server, and uh, what happens is once you've uploaded it to the particular Dropbox account uh, for your show, uh, it then gets sent into our system for playback. So the process that we have been doing has been to record remotely over Zoom, and then uh, I take the audio after that and uh, do some edits if, if there's some things we want to fix. And then we post it via Dropbox, and it's it's worked out pretty well. Uh, but obviously, when you're going over Zoom, you can have issues like internet dropouts, um, uh, where it's pretty hard to to fix. So sometimes we have to do some editing in that case. Uh, so yeah, ideally, uh, sound quality is going to be better. Um, everything is better doing it live. There's a lot of reasons to go back into the studio. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing it remotely... Uh, it's safer. Is, yeah, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> and and Jason, the way, what Jason just described, once this goes into Dropbox, Dropbox delivers it to our automation system here right. at the studios. And uh, automation uh, is really smart. It yeah. knows, knows when we go on the air yeah. and says, hey, we're going to play inside Petaluma at 11 o'clock. And so that's how it's done. Yeah. Yeah, and automation also is the uh, device we use uh, in between live shows um, 
which is typically music or other people's pre-recorded programs. And right. like right now, I could turn on automation, and this is what you'd hear. Yeah. Pull mine out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's what's playing in automation right now. Um, and as far as sound quality goes, yeah, this is uh, the optimal way to do it. Yeah. But um, you might hear a little bit of a whooshing sound in the background mm-hmm. while we're yep. recording today uh, for broadcasting today. I'm so used to saying recording, right. but broadcasting. Uh, we have a HEPA filter with a UVC lamp attached to it in the studio. Mm-hmm. And right now we have it on low, but that's how we help sanitize in between shows is that when we exit the studio this morning, um, we will turn that baby up on high and, and leave it that way so that the next person that comes in here can feel comfortable. Is there a, um, is there a, a prescribed period of time that needs to happen between shows, or are shows going to be back, you know, up, you yeah. know, back to back now? That's a good question. Yeah. We're, we're looking at 10 minutes right now. Yeah, yeah. So... Being nobody is coming in after us, we get to go all the way up to the noon hour. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, but if somebody were coming in to broadcast at noon, uh, used to be uh, Brown Boy Talking used to come on after us uh, in the past. Right. Uh, he's not ready to come back yet. So. Right. Um, well, there's a, a really nice, obvious benefit to doing the show live again, and that is that it's live instead of the day before <laughs> because what would happen before sometimes we talk about the weather or something on the day we record it and then it's no longer current of course because the show gets aired the next right. day so at least now when we're talking we're talking about the day that you're hearing the show so, right. Right. so that's a good thing so that's what we're doing and oh but in in between shows uh, we get out uh, 10 minutes before the next person in that also allows us not only to mm-hmm. turn the fan up but to practice all of the sanitization procedures that are required of us. So um, there's a lot of wiping down and, and whatnot. Anyway, um, I didn't get a chance to read the paper this morning. Well, I'm reading it right now, and since we've been talking a little bit about COVID, uh, just a little update. Uh, it's This was updated two minutes ago, actually. Sonoma County health officials on Thursday reported three new COVID-19 deaths and issued a sober warning that the pandemic is still sickening people and claiming lives, particularly those who have not yet been inoculated against the coronavirus. The three people n- uh, newly added to the local pandemic death toll were not vaccinated, health officials said. Now, there, there have been also, in the last two weeks, um, Sonoma County has reported seven COVID-19 deaths amid a recent spike of pandemic-related hospitalizations, mostly among unvaccinated. And there's a quote here, our hearts go out to anyone who has this tragic outcome in their, uh, in their families, um, said Dr. Sandre Masse, uh, the county's health officer. We urge everyone out there to get vaccinated. The vaccines are fully available, and you can probably get an appointment the same day. Protect yourself, protect your family, protect our community. Uh, so this is a this is a big deal. We've also been seeing um, some of the homeless shelters get hit pretty hard. Even people that are vaccinated uh, are getting this. What people don't understand: just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't get infected. Um, from COVID, it, it simply means that your chances of developing severe symptoms and hospitalization uh, decreases um, immensely. So uh, people do need to understand what the efficacies really mean when we're evaluating these vaccines. The, the reality is, get vaccinated. Uh, right. You need to do it. It's not just about you. Uh, we really are all in this together. And the more 
people that are unvaccinated, the, the more time the virus has to mutate into more deadly and communicable strains. So this is, this is not playtime, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it's real deal stuff. And the more we, we, we blow it on this, the more lockdowns we're going to have. No one wants the lockdowns. Everybody wants to be out and about and doing fun stuff. Well, you know, we got we to gotta be careful. Yeah. Well, I was shocked at the number of cases in that shelter in Santa yeah, Rosa of vaccinated yep. people who uh, became infected. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's bad. And I saw a long thread about that, and people were getting confused. Like, I don't understand with, you know, this percentage of people getting COVID and they've been vaccinated. Well, I, like I said, <laughs> you still can get it when you're vaccinated. Yeah. And uh, But they got, I think they had like, Nine hospitalizations uh, out of fifty uh, something people, I think was the stat. That's a, that's a pretty high percentage. But again, this is among a small group, small sample group, and these are people that may be more likely to have uh, compromised immune systems, and they're also in a situation where it's multiple people in a dwelling. Um, so, you know, it's not the average. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's getting it's getting scary. I mean, uh, LA now is just going back into mandating masks again for, yeah. for indoors. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Yeah. Scary stuff. Yeah. So you know, these people that are talking about individual liberties and everything, they really need to think a bit more about this because <laughs> you know it's sort of like analogous. Imagine you're on a life raft, right? And a few people on the life raft decide that um, they want to start poking holes in the, in the raft, right? And they and you say, don't do that. You know, we're, you're going you're gonna to kill us all. And they say, well, I don't believe in deflation. It's like, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. If you poke holes in the raft, we're all going to sink. And that's really what, what this is about. People need to get it. Yeah. Anyway, that's my speech. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, Meanwhile. Meanwhile, in Petaluma, yeah, we've had some interesting things happen. Uh, there was one thing uh, that happened, I think it was about a week ago now, uh, where there was a mountain lion going around. People people thought they saw it, then people really did see it, um, and uh, yeah, it was kind of kind of scary for some people. Imagine you know you go out in the morning, look in your in your backyard, and you see a exactly. <laughs> a big cat. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I live on the northeast side, and we, mm-hmm. we had the sighting over there, and then you, Jason, had mm-hmm. it in your neighborhood yes. as well, which is the southwest side. Um, so, yes. Yeah. Had to think for a minute. Yeah, southwest. Yeah, <laughs> I had to think for a second, too. <laughs> well, I used to live on the northeast, yeah. right around you where you live. So. Well, that's a, that's a large area to yeah. cover, and, and yeah. there's got to be some kind of an explanation for that. Yeah. And with that, I think we should introduce our guest. Yeah. Uh, today we have uh, Petaluma conservationist uh, Susan Kirks with us. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, and thank you so much for explaining your protocols. And <laughs> just so everyone knows, we're socially distanced, yeah. and I'm wearing a mask. So right. I hope that I come through, but um, it's amazing what you've done here yeah. just to help have yeah. your, your studios be yeah. safe and clean. Yeah. Thank you. It sounds amazingly well. I was wondering how it was going to sound with somebody that was masked. And Jason yeah, and I are unmasked. Well, everyone is masked. She's not wearing an N95 mask. Right. right. That would be a little more muffled. I yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little challenging here. And I am i don't know about you, but I am definitely wearing my mask pretty much everywhere still. When I go out, uh-huh. grocery store, 
Yeah. Pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And I'm fully vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. I just feel safer. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is good to know uh, how well she sounds with the, the uh, facial covering. Yeah. Oh, good. So in case we get a guest that insists that we wear them, that... Uh, so I got a thicker yeah. one here. Let's see how yeah, I feel now. Practice yeah, so it definitely makes a difference. See, it's like... Not a whole lot, but... Well, it depends on... Still, you're still very your, clear. Well, what you hear is that the high end goes away. See, it's sort of... It's more bassy, yeah, see? Exactly. Blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah. So. And I might also <laughs> mention, I might also mention that we we have usually have what's called a pop cover over our microphones. So right. when we make the P sounds, it yep. doesn't pop pop pop. Yep. And I noticed with these disposable um, uh, mic coverings that we have on, they're kind of serving as a, a pop cover. They are. You know, the the truth is with the microphones that we're using, the internal pop filter is actually quite good. So uh, yeah. even though I use one, you, you almost don't need them with these. These are the uh, Electro Voice uh, RE, I think we have the 320s, and the um, RE20 is the one you've got, I believe. Yeah, mine's um, a 20. Yeah, great, great microphone. Yeah. Yeah, that's an actual studio for you folks who don't have a visual. We This is a real it's radio studio that it's we're sitting in. Yeah. yeah, you can come down <laughs> to the offices of PCA sometime and, and take a tour. It's yeah. it's amazing. Very nice equipment. What we have going on here. Yeah. Well, we also have a TV studio for those of you that don't know. Hey, you can make TV shows here. Yeah, you can. Become a member. I mean, everybody's got video cameras, but it's hard sometimes to find a space yeah. where you can actually record. I mean, everybody's using their phones these days, but that is nice that PCA has that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've noticed there's a uh, video camera up on the wall in here so that you can simultaneously put on TV us doing a radio show. And we should do that sometime oh. just so oh. people can see. Fun. Yeah. I'll yeah. have to dress up. Yeah. So, Susan. Yes. You, I, I hear you're very impressed with our studio. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of impressed with the work you've been doing. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, why don't you why don't you give the listeners an idea of what it is you have been doing for the last 20 years? Oh, oh. <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> there are some stories there. Um, yeah, I um, you know, it's pretty timely to be here with you today because. Uh, of what you all were just mentioning, the recent mountain lion sightings. Yeah. And um, I've been working on a project for, I guess, maybe about a year of compiling data that's been accumulating over about 20 years of wildlife sightings, um, American badger habitat locations, mm -hmm. and... Um, receiving reports from all kinds of different people, hundreds of people, especially when they see a badger, whether it's deceased on the side of the road or they see it in a habitat area or they see the big holes that badgers have dug, uh, they want to know, they want to tell somebody about what they've seen and then they also want to know, did I really see that? And then with the badgers that we have here in uh, Petaluma, Badgers are a fossorial mammal, so they burrow into the ground and they live underground and they have to travel or range to seek their prey and find water. So uh, they're considered a keystone species and that means they impact or their presence impacts other mammals and other mm -hmm. wildlife. So with the badgers, um, over time, I have uh, observed directly, not using, I'm probably one of the few people who who do not use wildlife cameras uh, because I feel the connection to our environment here in Petaluma 
is really important to, to feel that relationship to the land and to observe how our wildlife live and what they need and how they move. So um, over time, that has included mountain lions, mm-hmm. bobcats, gray foxes, red foxes, which are non-native, and um, coyotes. So basically, four-legged creatures who need to move. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I heard about or read about the mountain lion and then saw the video of what looked like a young mountain lion, mm-hmm. um, it was it was right at the time when I was completing this wildlife corridor mapping project uh, for Petaluma and South Sonoma County. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I produced is part one of a three-part series called "We Are All Connected." Mm-hmm because our land needs to be connected. We as people really need to understand uh, what wildlife we have, what their needs are in their habitat, how they move. And in the pandemic, of course, uh, when we were all kind of sheltering in place, we all know about the stories of uh, various wildlife walking into towns and yeah. going into streets and coming into what used to be their right. their natural uh, environment. Yeah. So here in Petaluma, we have some uh, pretty significant movement areas, and the mountain lion that was seen recently, my sense is actually there may have been two mountain lions. Um, the one on the east side could have come from the Pengrove area mm-hmm. uh, because uh, there have been uh, mountain lion sightings in Pengrove, and it's, mm-hmm. it's in that corridor going north. Or uh, it could have come from West Petaluma, which is in one of the corridors that I've documented over 20 years, where there's a movement area uh, from the West Petaluma area of Paula Lane going north and then northeast across the um, lands that would be closest to Corona, uh, uh, the Corona Overcrossing or the Corona Bridge, mm-hmm. and just south of there where um, we've had, I think, maybe two proposed developments, um, the Sid Commons one, and there's another one I think that's called Warm Springs, mm-hmm. where if housing were to be going into that area, it would remove both habitat and also remove uh, natural movement areas for mm-hmm. our four-legged creatures. So sometimes the uh, wildlife who come from the west side and move over to the east side or vice versa also need to cross over Highway 101. Right. And if you drive on Highway 101 from north of Petaluma, let's say you're going south all the way to the Marin County line, it is so interesting because you'll see the concrete K-Rail. And the K-Rail, for, for your listeners, if people aren't familiar with uh, traffic or Caltrans terms, that's the, um, the, the concrete barrier that actually ha- has been placed as a median mm-hmm. between the um, north and south down lanes. And it runs literally all the way from north of Petaluma to the Marin County line. And when you get to the Marin County line, there's a wildlife-friendly median, the steel barrier that allows smaller mammals to uh, cross over. And one of the the things with the mapping that I did is to identify three areas of Highway 101 where over time I've received reports of deceased wildlife, badgers, raccoons, deer, and I always go in and verify those uh, when I can 
uh, verify the gender, the maturity, whether it's a juvenile or an adult. And so these three particular areas, uh, two of them are in the area I just described, which is in the Corona area, a little bit further north, a little bit further south. Um, those are areas where really straightforward changes of changing the concrete K-rail to the steel barriers would help facilitate our wildlife movement mm -hmm. across Highway 101. Mm -hmm. And you've probably heard, um, you know, this is a climate change uh, issue because we've lost so much habitat and our wildlife need to move and we need to preserve our wildlife mm -hmm. corridors and crossings. So there is uh, legislation now and there's funding coming with the cooperation of the Wildlife Conservation Board and Caltrans mm -hmm. to, um, especially in Southern California where the traffic is just so horrendous and the highways are so wide, to fund uh, overcrossings or, or wildlife bridges or wildlife mm. crossings. And I think I've heard you mention on your show before uh, in Europe. Yeah, I've seen them in Europe. Yeah, in yeah. Europe, Sweden, uh, mm. Norway, Denmark. Uh, so there's a sensitivity in Europe to yeah. our wildlife that I really hope we can actually bring here to Petaluma to help improve our our wildlife ability uh, yeah. to move, to move in their native habitats. And also for us as planners to look at how we can make sure the corridors stay open and facilitate movement and facilitate biodiversity yeah. because the wildlife can keep their gene pools strong. So I, I read, there was an article in the paper, and uh, a biologist from the area, uh, I don't have the article in front of me, but I do recall that they were pretty sure that it was actually the same lion, but the number of sightings was reduced because they confirmed many on the east side were not real. Like people, you know, you, you have this mindset of mountain lion, anything you see is a mountain lion suddenly, and some people were confusing very large cats <laughs> with mountain right. lions. But there was also some speculation that if it had been on the east side, it might have gone th uh, by way of the um, Lynch Creek Trail. Does that make any sense? Well, I read that too, and yeah. I just found that really interesting because yeah. um, actually I think it was the department Department of Fish and Wildlife spokesperson mm. who said that um, it could have been the same yeah. same lion or maybe yeah. not, and then there was the update right. on, on Nixel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a kitty. You know, it wasn't really yeah. that. Um, well, sometimes they get quite big, you know, and if you're just kind yeah. of thinking that mountain lion mindset, <laughs> you know. You know, my um, thought about that was it was interesting because the person who mentioned Lynch Creek Trail was a resident up in the Sunny Slope area. Ah, I got it. And I, I. Yeah, yes, of course that's possible, mm. but that's actually the way that we humans think. So yeah. we think, oh, you know, well, they could have taken Lich Creek Trail <laughs> because maybe that's how I would go. Yeah. But my observations over time um, are that our wildlife have their natural movement patterns, yeah. and the movement patterns are over land. Yeah. So, uh, sure, I mean, it might have, like, awesome. gotten onto the trail, but yeah. it wouldn't be thinking they'll take Lich Creek Trail. Yeah. Now, I thought that they use the creek the creek arteries as kind of yeah, like their their, their their map, their yeah. navigation system. Is that, that true? That is true um, because uh, now we're talking about riparian corridors. Right. So the riparian corridor, which generally runs along streaks or bodies of water, mm -hmm. and is, is a normal um, travel route, also helps wildlife with getting fresh water when they need it. Um, that's, to be honest, like for years, that's all we've talked about. 
uh, biologists, uh, open space planners, riparian corridor, riparian corridor. And I remember just in many public meetings raising my hand and saying, you know, hello, we have uh, land on either side of the creeks, uh, of the river, mm-hmm. expansive lands. For us here in Petaluma Valley, mm. you know, we have uh, land that goes over to Sonoma Mountain. We have land that stretches out and goes out to uh, Bodega Bay uh, and Point Reyes National Seashore. And so a lot of um, wildlife travel over land and then their natural patterns to their habitat areas. So for American badger in particularly, um, in particular, the grassland habitat is where they live. And also, wildlife follow prey. So, um, you know, with the mountain lion sighting, one of the sightings over at Sunny Slope was found near uh, a fresh kill yes. of a deer. Yeah, I read about that. Uh, so our, our wildlife are trying to survive. You know, they're yeah. looking for water and they're looking for prey. So they'll move in whatever patterns they need mm-hmm. to move. But for my purposes over these 21 years, identifying these wildlife corridors where there is open land, but sometimes there's not open land and they have to navigate around it or cross over Highway 101, um, and then how to connect these corridors to geographically where Petaluma is uh, in in our region will help us, again, be connected to other areas outside Petaluma. So, uh, for example, my second mapping is going to be the Sonoma County coast because that's another area where I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time documenting American badger habitat. Natal territories, which are critically important these days, where the adult uh, female of a species lives and where she has to find the safe habitat to give birth and raise her young. And so for number two, uh, the mapping for Sonoma County Coast will connect to the West County and also to West Petaluma. Um, so I like to think of West Petaluma in particular as being really connected to the Sonoma County Coast mm-hmm. through these corridors and, and movement areas. And then the third mapping that I plan to do is for Marin County. So as I said, Marin County, who knows why they have some wildlife-friendly a steel median, which is uh, something that we could have all the yeah. way through Petaluma if we just perhaps had the political will and had some planning to be sure to do that. Well, we used to have them, um, and yes, they, they removed them. Yes, yeah. yeah, in a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, well, I've, I've been here all my life, yeah. which is a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those steel barriers was the continual barrier from Marin all the way up as far up into as far as I can remember, up into Mendocino County. Exactly. I remember that from only being here 21 years, mm-hmm. but I was thinking when they were doing this, um, you know, the highway widening project and the Petaluma River Bridge replacement. Mm-hmm. And then in the Petaluma River Bridge replacement, there's a corridor that's just south of the bridge that um, uh, where, to, unfortunately, I've documented several, uh, you know, deceased species, no. uh, skunks. Badgers, I see a lot of skunks. Skunks, badgers, raccoons, and um, they've just completely closed it off mm-hmm. for the most part. There are ways to kind of move through it, but it's another area where we need to make changes mm-hmm. and bring back bring back the steel mediums. I don't know why they just, uh, I think it's because no one asks them to, frankly. Now, now back to that mountain lion. Um, <laughs> 
Well, I was, I was reading uh, also in the same article, because initially I thought the reason might be drought-related. But what they're saying is it's a little bit difficult to determine that because the timing, and apparently, that I didn't know this, but apparently the timing is just when juveniles are kind of pushed out. Mm -hmm. And this apparently they identified it as a male juvenile mountain lion. So it's, it's unclear, I guess, as to whether it was seeking water because of the drought or if it was merely kind of being pushed out and it chose to go into town and then ultimately back probably towards Helen Putnam or something. Well, that's actually a really good point, Jason, because right now, that's why I was so glad to complete this mapping mm -hmm. <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. So I thought, this is timely. Yeah. Um, right now, we are in the middle of dispersal season for several species. Oh, that's what it's called. Okay. Dispersal season. <laughs> so the juveniles are, you know, mom says, it's time to go. That just seems like a euphemism for kicking them out the, of the nest. <laughs> well, right? it actually is. And that's the same for badgers. Oh, so it's same for, for kids. For kids, yeah. Get out. Or go to camp. Um, so for badgers, uh, the dispersal season is June to August, and already uh, we have, um, I've documented or received reports and, and been able to verify the death of two juvenile female badgers mm. uh, west of Petaluma, just before Rivlar Road, and another one out at uh, Valley Ford, just in the last 10 days. And that's unusual. You know, mm. I, I don't like losing male badgers, but when you lose a female badger, you're losing the potential for continuation of the species. And you think that that might be drought-related? No, no, they oh. were struck and killed by cars. Oh, this is, oh, sorry. So for badgers, they're struck and killed generally. That's one of the okay. habitat loss, uh, habitat fragmentation, and vehicle strikes are the, oh. the leading uh, causes of death for juvenile badgers during dispersal. For the mountain lion, um, you know, there's a, if I can just do a little plug here, there's a great program that Dr. Quentin Martins does called Living with Lions. Uh, he has his own nonprofit now. Um, he's an expert in mountain lions, and he's um, uh, tracking through radio collar tracking our mountain lion population here in, in the North Bay. He does this through Audubon Canyon Ranch. Mm. And um, so I just respect him so much. And he's usually called to help property owners understand when they have concerns with uh, young mountain lions or any mountain lion coming in and perhaps trying to kill someone's animal, yeah. which is perceived to be prey, that we have actually placed ourselves in the corridors and habitat areas of these wild animals. Right. So we really need to learn how to protect and take care of our domestic animals. And this uh, young mountain lion, uh, I think it was probably a combination. The reason I say that is someone just yesterday sent me a photograph of a mother mountain lion and one of her cubs, a younger cub, smaller than the one that we saw here in Petaluma, um, at a, a large fountain, you know, oh. that someone would have like a two-tiered fountain okay. where they were clearly trying to seek water. Wow. So they're seeking water, but the young mountain lions, especially the males, they have a very wide range, and they right. will be trying to find their way. They're right. young, so they don't know any better than right. to, say, walk into downtown Pembroke. Right. The same goes with badgers. Sometimes they they find themselves in situations like on someone's porch, right. or they don't mean to go there. They're just perhaps attracted by the scent of water or, or something similar. And I just would like to say to all of your listeners, um, you know, we want to be awake and aware mm -hmm. 
but we don't need to be afraid because these are animals that are just trying to find their way. Right. Yeah. Unless you happen to be in their path and they're hungry. Well, you know, it was, it was interesting because I was listening to your program last week yeah. with Council Member Posake, and yeah. he, he mentioned, you know, he lives in similarly yeah. in the same area yeah. you do, and he mentioned going out to walk at 11 yeah. at night, and yeah. I was thinking, I don't think I would yeah. be going no, out I used, to, I used to do that all the time. I go, like, to the water tower late at night. Um, really? Yeah, you know, just to go stargazing or something like that. Are you know? still going to do that? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I won't even ride my bike to Helen Putnam, uh, you know. After to, dusk. Yeah, after dusk or I guess the early morning you want to avoid. That's not typically a problem because I don't wake up that early. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's important to understand what to do. People get confused because there's certain things you want to do for a bear versus a mountain lion. Uh, I guess the thing is you don't walk, you don't run away. Run, stand your ground. Uh, yeah, appear uh, big. Appear big, raise your hands, yeah. uh, yell. Uh, don't run away. And then if that yeah. doesn't work, fight it like hell, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing about, uh, you know, when we hear about any type of mountain lion attack, um, yeah. often people have gone off regular trails and yeah. have moved way into a into habitat area. Um, and, and they're not usual. But there was a case, I think this happened um, in Griffith Park or something a while back, where I, I might be Oh, a young mistaken. child was bitten. Well, and I heard someone was riding their bike. Someone was riding their bike, and a mountain lion jumped on him while they were riding the bike. And I don't know if the person was killed or not. But uh, so sometimes, even on the path, apparently, uh, mountain lion can jump on you. I don't know. Well, <laughs> even if you're on a bike, <laughs> it's probably a good um, a good reason to become aware of where our wildlife yeah, corridors totally. are and. And the open spaces, you know, the 30 by 30 program that the governor wants in terms of saving 30 percent of our land, uh, there will be more uh, money coming from legislation to help with preserving land and preserve wildlife corridors and crossings. I'm glad you mentioned that specifically because there's a development, uh, potentially, uh, Davidon uh, near Helen Putnam Park. And uh, I think it started originally with over 100 houses, and now it, it's been scaled back to, I think, 26 McMansions or something. 28. 28, okay. And, um, but the problem I have with it, other than the fact that they're all car dependent, uh, and so we have these uh, vehicle mile travel requirements for approving new developments, but also, although that would get us some more parkland, it would also disturb what is currently now a open wild habitat. And I just wonder, I mean, what, because the, the idea is, well, the, you know, this developer owns it. Originally, the Scott Ranch was, uh, I guess, given uh, to uh, a university. Yeah. Uh, and the idea, I believe, uh, was to maintain it as a research uh, area. Uh, but, of course, the university decided to sell it to a developer. And um, so, so the question is, are there open district, open space district funds, or is there any vehicle by which the city could just prioritize to take the entire property, um, and that way we don't have to worry about uh, more development in a critical wildlife habitat? Well, I'm really glad that you uh, brought up the, I call it the Kelly Creek property, but it yeah. is the David on yeah. own property. Um, and for full disclosure, the two organizations that I um, volunteer for, Paula Lane Action Network, uh, the Badger Research Organization, and Open Space Advocacy Group, 
and Madrid Audubon Society, um, have, we have filed comments about that particular development proposal, mostly on the environmental impact report yeah. and the inadequacy of the biological resources uh, re- review, which is part of the EIR. Yeah. And um, one of the things that, and I will, I would like to answer your question about sure. my feelings about sure. the open space district. But one of my feelings was um, the group uh, Petalumens for Responsible Planning, yes. I think they're called. Uh, they hired their own biologist, Dr. Sean Smallwood, who I don't know if you saw his report, but he submitted a report in the last iteration of the City Council review of the EIR, and. Um, I would like to say Dr. Smallwood is one of the most uh, well-reputed biologists in California. He is someone with a very high level of integrity, Mm -hmm. and he's a conservation biologist. So when I see that he has produced a report, I I usually pay special attention. And coincidentally, he also had submitted a report for um, a community group that was questioning and opposing the River Bend development downtown. Uh, if we have time, maybe we could say a few words about that. But um, his report was so impressive that it could definitely be used as a basis for uh, an entire conservation of that particular property. The fact that that property is habitat for the California red-legged frog which is a threatened species, so that is a level of protection that means the habitat must be protected. Badgers don't have that level of protection, but they actually should. Mm -hmm. When a species of concern, like the badger, is a special status mammal, that's one level below threatened. Mm -hmm. So just the species is protected. And so I feel it's really up to our leaders in, in the community to make decisions about um, how we want to live here and yeah. how we want to protect our lands or mm-hmm. acquire open space. Uh, Kelly Creek is a really special property for that. For yeah. one one thing, it has a freshwater creek, which yeah. is very important. And um, I personally, I, I, I acknowledge and admire the work that the Kelly Creek Project Group did mm-hmm. or have they have done to limit this to 28 houses. Mm-hmm. But really, if you listen to the city council meeting, and I was thinking particularly of um, uh, Vice Mayor Barnacle, there are a lot of concerns now. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in the middle of a climate emergency. Yep. These types of houses are not needed. Right. They are uh, vehicle dependent. It's, yeah, it's not going to solve the affordable housing uh, problem not at, <laughs> at all. But what you said to me, the way that we really should be looking at this particular mm-hmm. property, and maybe others too, is absolutely yes. We, we in Petaluma uh, should be identifying that particular property for an entire conservation effort. Yeah. And then, if they wanted to make it part of Helen Putnam Regional sure. Park, okay. But because of the sensitivity of the habitat yeah. and the, the richness of the um, species that have been identified there, both living there and also moving through there and foraging, we need to be very mindful when we make plans for public access yeah. or how we use it. For example, you had said a research facility earlier. Mm. Uh, certainly there could be educational programs sure. and uh, guided walks, but we really need to prioritize the biological resources yeah. part of our EIRs. And 
Um, and yes, um, the Open Space District does have funding. It's a matter of um, the city of Petaluma, and, that, and you know I was a candidate for city yes. council, so I just wanted to mention that one of the reasons that I ran is, um, you know, we're one of the, the cities in the county that really have no policy whatsoever established for how will we approach um, open space acquisitions? Yeah. Uh, where can we go for funding? Coastal Conservancy Open Space District. Uh, for some places, it's the uh, San Francisco Bay Restoration Authority. So it depends on the, the habitat types, but we really need to strengthen our resolve and um, and our appreciation for the incredible natural resources we right. have. And going back to the mountain lion, <laughs> one of the things that I've thought about is, you know, if you take any of that habitat now yeah. and you put 28 houses there, yeah. and that is taking habitat, and yeah. that will inevitably impact the red-legged frog. Yeah. Uh, we can't say that it won't. It will. You're taking oh, it even says in the environmental impact report. Yeah, and, and so why, why would we even want to do that? And so also, because mountain lions are, you know, pretty common over in the Helen Putnam Regional Park yeah. area, and that cor there's another corridor that stretches out to Point Reyes National Seashore out the D Street Extension. Um, what what will this do when we take that land and then also put people yep. in the middle of, you know, like the public access trails and stuff? That's also a bit of a taking of habitat. Yep. How will that impact the natural balance of things yep. for mountain lions and other species, bobcats, coyotes, who are very common there? Uh, it could push them into residential areas. And I don't think we want to do that. I think we really want to find a balance and a deep appreciation as our new paradigm here uh, for saying no when, when housing developments, regardless of how long or how many houses were there or how many were cut down, yeah. our elected officials have a responsibility to our environment and our community. So that, that's my feeling. I mean, frankly, it. I was a bit um, disappointed in the way, because I went to one of the early um, Petaluma for Responsible Planning meetings yeah. uh, before that the group split. And I was a little dismayed that they went from the goal of road to zero, meaning no houses, down to 28. And the and the rationale for that was that, oh, we're going to be able to expand Helen Putnam Park. And now that's become the big drive. It's like, oh, don't you want to expand Helen Putnam Park? Well, of course, everybody does. But why not have the whole thing be protected? Why, why have any development? Especially, well, yeah. especially, we're going to need more parks. I mean, we're going to have more dense development downtown. We're going to need more open space. Um, this is not the kind of developments we need to be doing further. We need to focus more on transit-oriented development and affordable housing. But residents are going to need more open space, and our wildlife needs it. Well, actually, uh, and that, that also goes to our entire planning process here, because in that area, which is a neighborhood, yeah. you know, there are residents who live there now. Yeah. There are visitors to Helen Putnam Regional Park. The truth is that if there were the political will here in Petaluma, that that property doesn't actually need to become part of Helen Putnam Park. Right. It could become an open space preserve. Yeah, I like that idea. And, and, and it will satisfy the needs of people who live in that community 
for the nourishment of being around open space well, and the wildlife. And it lowers our carbon footprint. Exactly. I mean, it's consistent with yeah. the climate uh, goals that we have, climate action goals. And I'm sorry, can I just say one other thing? Yeah. Okay, so the reason I mentioned planning is because one of the things I want to see us do here in Petaluma, that's a perfect example of in other areas of Petaluma, where do we identify the type of housing that will be more affordable, mm -hmm. that we can have amenities, but also identify and, and conserve areas of open space that, with my wildlife corridor mapping, can be um, contribute to saving wildlife corridors, but also give that um, well-being type of appreciation we all need to have open space with different types of vegetation and trees. Um, I just think it, 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 it has, there are so many benefits to that. And it could be a model, um, just like the Paula Lane property could be, which is a later conversation, um, for how our neighborhoods are able to, um, to thrive and, and for how we attract people to come and live here. Um, so, yeah. Open space, housing, all in balance, wildlife appreciation, wildlife corridors. We're talking with Susan Kirks, who is a local conservationist here in Petaluma. Uh, and you're listening to Inside Petaluma on KPCA 103.3 FM. And by the way, we also stream live uh, on your internet at kpca.fm. Um, Susan, I wanted to ask a question going back to uh, the very beginning of the show. Um, you mentioned that the red fox is not native to Petaluma. How did the red fox come yeah, about question. being here? Um, well, I'm not sure how the red fox originally came to Petaluma, but red foxes are pretty common, you know, in Sonoma County and in California. Uh, they're just not considered native, such as our native gray fox. Right. So mm -hmm. um, they're beautiful animals. Yeah. And um, just because they're non-native doesn't mean we should be doing anything about them. It's just something to... To be aware of, you mm. know, there's, I know at least three areas in Petaluma where um, red foxes are seen occasionally, um, and our gray foxes are considered native, and perhaps um, there might be a little bit of competition for habitat, mm. but um, we don't really need to worry about it. You know, mm -hmm. the red fox has been seen at Schollenberger Park. I have one in my backyard. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and they're actually beautiful animals. They are, um, but it kind of freaked me out because I, I walked out. And I expected it to, to run. It started coming towards me. Really? And then it turned out it's one that's been frequenting the neighborhood, and it's been eating cat food and, yeah. and things from people's backyards. Say, somebody's <laughs> feeding it. That's why. Well, that's another, that's another summer issue for yeah. many of us in terms of uh, the creek beds are dry. If I could just say one other thing about a court, you know, in addition to supporting our wildlife corridors, um, we're going to be seeing more wildlife coming into areas in summer because of the drought. Yeah. And I always encourage people to put out trays of water at the edge of your property, mm. um, you know, low trays, a low bucket, something, and just leave it there and let the wildlife access it um, because uh, they're desperate during the drought periods. And it will, it will help them find right. what they need and move on. And that's best done, like you said, outside your property. Don't put it on your deck on your or porch. your porch. Yeah. No, but out of the edge of your property. Exactly. Of, uh, exactly. I know a lot of people who are doing that. Well, so trace well the water. you know, with that, that mountain lion sighting, yeah. there was a, a big, huge thread on the social network next door about it. And I was shocked at the number of people whose responses were, 
oh, poor kitty, you need to put food and water out for it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, try that. Oh, not Better we've got to shoot it. <laughs> no, water maybe. Water. Yeah, water, water but on the edge of the property, like you said. Yeah, huh? water yeah. on the edge in an area where you just envision. I love to think, think how wildlife think. Think about how that mountain lion would move through. Just put the water in mm-hmm. a tray at the edge of a, you know, at the edge of your property mm-hmm. or at the edge of a yard. Yeah. Or, now, what about bird baths? Because I remember there was uh, a, a warning about having bird baths yeah. because Salmonella. Uh, yeah, birds are passing diseases. So, but I feel for the birds, like they want some water. I mean. What do you think? Yeah, and a lot of uh, other wildlife will access um, bird baths too, depending on the mm-hmm. type of bird bath you have. Yeah. Right now, the outbreak that we had, which was uh, which was called an eruption with a uh, large population of uh, pine siskins, birds that came from Canada mm-hmm. uh, in April and May. So people were, you know, asked to remove bird baths, don't put them up again, and feeders as mm-hmm. well. But that has passed now, okay. and so generally, um, it's okay to have your bird bathed out. It's really encouraged now in the summer months, mm. and feeders are okay too. Just be sure that they're cleaned uh, thoroughly, cleaned once a week, and there are uh, guidelines for how to clean. If people want to go to www.madroneaudubon.org, uh, there are guidelines for a different mixture of you know how you clean your bird baths. So just keep clean them once a week. Uh, and definitely, uh, now is a good time to have bird baths and feeders out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the birds. Yeah. We have so many here, so many different varieties, oh, so many different species. And well, that's Kelly Creek, too. Well, you and I first met because we, uh, you were doing some work to protect Schollenberger Park. That's right. And uh, that's how we first and met. That's how we met. Yeah, and uh, i got to tell you, I mean, the, the, if any, if you haven't been over to Schollenberger Park, the bird experience there is, is just incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And yeah. so many bird walks are led, too, at uh, Ellis Creek now. Mm-hmm. Ellis Creek and Schollenberger, um, Drone Audubon does regular bird walks, and mm-hmm. others do too. So um, I know with Madrone, I, w- I was actually in the first uh, Petaluma Wetlands Alliance docent class in 2006. So uh, they do really good work, and Audubon had a really long-standing relationship with uh, the Wetlands Alliance for many years. And we're still very interested, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are so right. The bird life there is is just incredible. It's just amazing, yeah. Well, I want to thank Susan Kurtz for being here today. That was a, a great talk that we had. It was fun. <laughs> Is it over already? Yeah, so we've got about oh, a couple more minutes. But uh, Well, I was just going to ask. I mean, you ran, you ran for council. Right. Um, you weren't successful. I know. I we all know how that goes. <laughs> uh, I didn't feel like a loser. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, you, go, you put I your voice so out there. I was so grateful for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and are you thinking about running again? You know, I am, um, and uh, if I, uh, I'm, I'm observing our current city council. Um, I am I'm impressed with um, Vice Mayor Barnacle. I feel a kind of a resonance with him and, and his approach and views about things. Uh, it would be a, a, a pleasure to be elected and to work with him and some of the other council members. And I, I'm, I'm keeping it in mind because I think our community really deserves uh, strong leadership, um, strong guidance, and 
we have so many opportunities to uh, protect our environment and to mm. do good good planning for affordable housing and to invite uh, new residents to come here and build diversity in our population mm. and also have um, a little bit of reform for our community safety function. You know, the, the CAHOOTS that yeah. is now the SAFE mm. program is really good, um, working with our own shelter population. So every single thing is a priority, and I, um, I'll let you know I mean, if, I, <laughs> if I decide. Thanks, right. thanks for asking. <laughs> well, music. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means. It's like closing music. I love it because I, I, I sit at the controls just so you listeners know. <laughs> I, I, I can shut off everyone's mic. Music, I can yeah. put the music on. And I can... I can, I can shut it down. <laughs> anyway, you've been listening to Inside Petaluma. I'm Cindy Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host Jason Davies and our other co-host Janice Peter Thompson. And I believe we'll be back with us next week. Uh, we are here every Friday from 11 to noon uh, today in the studio. I'm not sure it'll be that way next week, but uh, if you do miss an episode, you can go back to our. Uh, website at InsidePetaluma.com and check out the archives page. And all of our past shows are there. Yeah, and podcasts. And podcasts. And podcasts. And, and look, there's <laughs> Radio Rob. We haven't seen Radio Rob for 16 months. Hi, Radio. All right, so we're done, and we'll see you next week. Everybody take care. Stay safe. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.